Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor. I'm delighted to have as our guest today, Lisa Genovese, who is the president at Bottomline. Lisa, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I am really looking forward to this conversation. You're so generous to spend your time with me, and I'm also very much looking forward to it. I'm grateful that we had a chance to chat a little bit before uh, in another meeting a few weeks ago, and I've been thinking quite a bit about our topic. And so I'll hold back a bit because first I want to hear about you, and then we can get to the topic. So I'd love for you just to tell us a bit about uh, who you are, kind of some of the headlines, so to speak, uh, of your life that have brought you to the point of uh, leading the great organization that, that is bottom line. Oh, thanks for asking. I'd be happy to share. So I started my career uh, not in the marketing and strategy world at all. I worked with uh, children with learning disabilities at the beginning. And uh, what I found is, although I loved working with uh, the kids, I really gravitated towards, you know, the growing the business. And I was really passionate about, you know, making an impact with, of course, the kids, but also uh, that business growth. And so I eventually sold that business to one of my employees and I went back to school and I took more surprise business and marketing focus. Um, and out of school, I went to work for a firm that did marketing for IT and MSP firms. And I learned a ton while I was there. And one of the things that I learned specifically was that not every marketer sees the world in the same way that I do. So I have always kind of by nature felt that in order to do a good job of marketing, whether it be strategy or implementation, you really need to do your homework and you need to do proper market research to build that strategy first. Um, and so I left that firm, oh goodness now, I think it's about the end of 2010, beginning of 2011, um, and I started uh, Bottom Line. And uh, at the beginning, Bottom Line was, you know, we did marketing consulting, web development, a lot of the basics on the implementation side, and we we didn't actually offer market research services at that time. Um, and kind of as things progressed, um, and I kind of stayed with that whole, we got to do our homework first before we do projects. Um, I had this epiphany one day of like, why are we not charging to do this work? And why is this not a formalized process? Ha ha. <laughs> um, and so, you know, many years ago now, uh, we formalized that into what we now call our impact assessment process, which all of our clients go through. And that's like that deep dive into who they are as a brand, as a business. Um, you know, both qualitative and quantitative research to drive that strategy piece before we get to the execution side. So cool. Uh, that's awesome. And I'm really excited to kind of peel back the layers of the onion on that, uh, kind of what you're doing and more about the, the kind of the catalyst for creating that. Um, I have to mention that I just love your accent. Uh, that I, <laughs> Again, it's, it's pretty subtle, but I, our most astute listeners can probably detect that you're from the northern lands, right? <laughs> I am. I definitely am. And every time somebody tells me I have an accent, I laugh and say, no, you have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> right. It goes both ways, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But yeah, I, I love, I've got lots of friends that are wonderful Canadians, either that have now moved to the U.S. or continue to just do great things in Canada like yourself. So anyway, just uh, wanted to poke at that a little bit because it's, it's a great, again, it's very subtle for you. 
different parts <laughs> well, of Canada I've noticed it's more definitely. pronounced. I'm, I'm on the one side of the country where less of an accent. If you look to the other side though, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> much, much thicker accent for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Well, anyway, yeah, thanks for letting me uh, go there for just a second. Um, so I love, uh, I love your intro and again, the way you shared your story of just, uh, of course, doing wonderful work with, again, the, the, the origin of children with learning disabilities and paying attention to that innate interest or drive that you had uh, toward growing a business. What was that? somewhat difficult to kind of reconcile with because of course, I mean, what worthy and, and amazing work you were already doing and yet you were feeling kind of pulled a different direction. Like how was that to kind of, it, it tends to be kind of a struggle in, in a moment like that for a lot of us, at least like, was it that way at all? Or was it just this natural path of like, this is obviously where I need to go. No, it was not. It was not obvious at all. Um, and it was, it truthfully, it was a really challenging time in my life um, because I, I, I felt kind of pulled in two, two opposite directions. I, I loved working with the kids. It wasn't that I wasn't passionate about that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's kind of one conversation that sticks out in my mind um, as to what was like that deciding factor. And I was, I was meeting with a, a woman. Her name is, is Susan, um, and she's based here in Calgary, and she owns a, an executive like recruitment firm. And they were having some problems with their website and, you know, a couple of other things. And over a glass of wine, we were just, you know, chatting it through and, and uh, I was offering up some suggestions and I said, well, what about this? And what about that? And then she pulled open her laptop and I was, you know, saying, well, if you do this on your website and, you know, giving those suggestions and she stopped me and she said, Lisa, and I won't swear because she totally swore in the conversation, but said like, why are you not doing this for a living? Like you are clearly so passionate about this. You light up whenever you talk about it. And although you don't, it's not that you don't light up in your current business. It's just not to the same, the same degree or the same level. Um, and it really kind of hit me of like, you know, I could change what I'm doing. It, it wouldn't be too big of a, a shift or a pivot. And, you know, I could sell this company to one of my employees. I don't have to stay. And, and then I'm, I'm still getting, you know, my mission is still being fulfilled with the, with the kids. Um, and that dream isn't dying, so to speak. Um, and so, yeah, it was really that conversation that gave me the kick in the pants I needed to to really make the change. And so from there, it actually happened fairly, fairly quickly of, you know, self, having that conversation with that employee and, you know, the chips fell where they fell. But no, it wasn't easy. <laughs> well, I love that you, again, you shared that detail because I think there's a really powerful principle here for any human being, uh, because I think in our core, all of us want to do good in the world. Like we want to do something that's worthwhile. Uh, we want to feel like we get out of bed for something that's meaningful beyond just taking care of ourselves. I, I don't think that there's this hierarchy. When I was younger, I used to kind of think like there's this hierarchy of good in, in terms of like, all of us should go be like mother Teresa or, you know, like <laughs> work with children. Every person should go work with children with disabilities or go and teach kids in, in uh, tough neighborhoods or like whatever, you know, there's gotta be kind of a hierarchy, but I really think that uh, for me, at least the thing that stands out from your story is that there's more than one way to do good. And the key is to look at what we're naturally good at and what we truly love. Like, I think we're given those for a reason, those things that we, we love and that we're good at, and then creating alignment uh, between the two 
rather than like, okay, let's all just abandon what we're doing and go and feed children or go and teach children. Of course, that's wonderful. But anyway, any thoughts around that? I, I had a lot of thought, actually. And I, I super appreciate you bringing that up because for a long time, I had this like imposter syndrome of, of why do not, why, why don't I feel passionate about doing that as much as I do, you know, growing businesses and consulting. And, and, and I felt like I was like this bad person that I, I didn't want, you know, to, to do charity work or I didn't. And, and what I've come to realize kind of through my journey is that as I focus more on, you know, leadership skills and self-growth, I have really come around to this idea that this is my contribution to the world and that that's not a bad thing. I am still I'm still contributing back to society in a different way. Um, and just because that's what makes me passionate or, or feel passionate does not make me a bad person. You need all of those pieces in society to working together to create that common good. So I actually think it would be a disservice to society if everybody just went and you know, volunteered or focused on charity work because there wouldn't be other, there, there wouldn't be jobs then. There wouldn't be, you know, money to go around. Um, so I think that there, it, it creates that balance, I guess, in society. And, but it took me a long time to get there. I really, there were many times where I'm like, I'm this bad person. And my coach was like, you're not a bad person for wanting that. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you bringing that one up. It's a good one. Great thoughts. So I, lo- I love that. And if I may, just one additional question kind of on this, uh, I guess, intro or more of the philosophical side of what you're doing as you succeed and you've had amazing success and continue to succeed. Sometimes it's easy to get or to lose sight of the genesis uh, for what you're doing, the core purpose behind what you're doing, I guess I should say. Um, there's a lot of noise in the world. There's a lot of potential social pressure or expectation of what you do as you succeed. Um, I don't know if I'm even expressing that the right way. We'll see how this turns out. But how do you stay focused as you as you scale and as you start to do more and more good and also have more and more success? Any advice for those that may be in a similar situation on how to stay true to the reason you you took this path in the first place? Uh, that's a good one. And I can't claim to have all of the answers with that one. But I, the, the way I see it is so long as you're really staying true to your core personal values, you know that you're on the right path. Um, and for me, um, those kind of core values, principles, whatever you want to call them, uh, are, are that guiding force for me. I know right away when I don't feel in alignment. Um, and, and it's usually pretty easy to identify. Yep. Yeah, this isn't the right thing because it doesn't feel, it, it doesn't feel an in integrity for me. Um, you know, one of those really big, like core value for me is, is leadership, um, on a personal level, as much as that is for, our, our business as well. And um, the other other big one is impact. And if I'm not creating a positive impact through, you know, being a good leader, I know that I'm not kind of on the right road or the right track. Um, and I need to reevaluate and course correct. Um, but yeah, those core values, uh, figuring those out early on in, in my career have really helped keep that driving force um, going in the right place. Well, I love that because it really... I think of just kind of the metaphor of a compass, like it, it acts as that true north uh, as you go. And so even if you're in kind of the metaphorical darkness or the forest or whatever, like you're, you're able to refer back, uh, you know, pull that compass out and like, well, one of the core values is leadership impact and, you know, whatever, whatever other, uh, other principles or values uh, people choose to live by. I think that's the, 
significance of it though is just that that can act as that constant uh, kind of north star or true north or however we, however we want to refer to it so i love the way you put that oh, thanks <laughs> so getting more into the meat of what you're doing now and again i love uh, how you introduced this impact assessment and shared kind of that epiphany moment of uh of making this shift in in the way you approach your your client work in particular and this is a little bit selfish for me to share but because of my background, like I was an all-source intelligence analyst for the military for a good number of years. And the whole concept of that is that there's multiple sources of information. You have like imagery intelligence and signals intelligence and human intelligence and, you know, lots of different uh, variables or variations uh, around that. And then my job as an all-source analyst was to pull all that together and try to figure out what's really going on, what's the story, what's going to happen next on the battlefield, who's really leading this organization, you know, those sorts of elements of, you know, on the fighting terrorism side, a little bit different context, but I think the <laughs> principles are, the, are similar in that you're, you're going out, again, you, you emphasized even in our offline or off-air conversation, just the importance of research first. And you said that also in your intro here. I'd love to just hear more about, about that and understanding the, the science, I guess, behind it. Yeah, no, I, I love the parallel that you've drawn there. And that is exactly what we do for a living, just for a different purpose. Um, it, you know, different layers of data and then using almost that as a lens to come up with, okay, here's what's actually going on and getting to that core of what's the issue or the challenge or the problem, if you will. Um, and then using that information to then drive, drive the strategy. Um, and, you know, the point that I always like to make when it comes to research is it doesn't have to be hard or complex, but it does need to be done. Um, and, you know, I look at so many companies uh, who have gone out and, you know, just started executing. They've built a website and they've built their sales collateral and they've started running ads and they haven't really gone back to the basics to just figure out who, am, who what's our unique value proposition? Who are our competitors? Who are our customers? What makes them tick? How are we differentiating from them? To some of those foundational pieces, if you get those, if you get your positioning wrong, I don't care what you do for marketing, it will not work. And that is just bottom line, ha, pun intended. Um, but, it, but it is really, it is the truth. And whether you're a big company, a small company, it does not matter. If you have not defined some of those key things, you really run the, you run the risk of your budget just going in the wood chipper. And when I look at case studies and compare you know, clients that have gone out and just strictly stuck to execution and said, okay, well, you know, we're going to just A-B test with our budget and see where we land. Um, we don't want to put any money into research and strategy. We think that that's, you know, a waste. We'll just put it all into implementation. And then clients that have gone through an impact assessment, in some cases, they've done, you know, triple digit growth in their first year. You can't argue with those results, but it comes back I'd love to attribute it all to just bottom line being special. It's not. It is just simply that they went and did their homework and built a proper strategy and executed on that strategy, measured it. And so they kind of followed the steps instead of, you know, chucking spaghetti at the wall and hoping that it sticks. And there, there is a cost to chucking spaghetti. And it's a lot more than just some lost, you know, money in an ad campaign that I think so many people are not really evaluating properly. Like there's an opportunity cost to your business not growing just as much as there is, you know, marketing dollars going, like I say, into the wood chipper. Um, 
So I could get on my soapbox and harp on that all day long, but you know the proof is kind of in the pudding. The data never lies, and neither do the numbers. Um, the success rates are always higher when you have done some level of research to inform your strategy. Well, I love how how results based your confidence is. Again, it's not just like you believe in it, but the data speaks for itself. Uh, I, I used to and continue to uh, back in my military days, and even now. Uh, the phrase data doesn't lie. Like, you know, that the, the data yep. is hard and it is true. And it, it does, uh, it does allow us to have uh, a longer lever, a bigger fulcrum, you know, however we want to kind of think about, uh, that principle. Now, one of the challenges I think, um, well, I might I suspect, I guess I should say is information overwhelm. We already live in a world with just so much information online new content posted at rates that are exponentially greater year over year and all, all that. I know it's not just online data, but that's just kind of an example. Um, there's also lots of offline, so to speak, just global events and more transparency of what's going on in governments and, and all these, uh, I guess, uh, macro economic uh, type uh, details. So anyway, the point of the the suggestion here, I guess, is uh, how do you not fall into that information overwhelm? You mentioned that it doesn't have to be complicated, but you do need to do your homework. So how do you figure out where to focus as you're looking at uh, different sources of, of information? That's a, a really, really uh, great question. And I think um, this is where, especially for small businesses, where they get so caught up in there's just so much to do. And there's so many different pieces of information out there. Which ones do you pay attention to? And this is why I kind of harp on the go back to the basics. So the simple stuff, you need to make sure you understand your customer, make sure you understand your competition, make sure you understand where you are remarkable, where your value comes from, uh, so that you can actually develop proper positioning. You know, the third piece is just I call lay of the land research. What's happening in the industry? What are some trends that could be up and coming that could take you out of left field that you aren't thinking about? that you should be paying attention to. Those few key things are enough to get you at least the basics and that that baseline. And, you know, when it comes to research, to my point of it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be time consuming or, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be super costly either. You could do your own interviews. You could, like, and, and it could be people say, well, interviews, that sounds complicated. Just talk to your customers. Ask them why they bought from you. Ask why they stay. Like it doesn't have to be, again, complicated uh, or take a bunch of time or money. But so many companies say, yeah, yeah, and then they never actually go and do it. Um, and what's more frustrating is they do it and then they do never do anything with the data they gather. So, you know, just some, some of those simple steps will get you light years ahead of your competition because you can bet nine times out of 10 your competition isn't doing that level of research. Well, I love that just that it represents a, a clear competitive advantage for those that are disciplined enough and take action again, not, not just take action to get the information, but then act upon the information and the conclusions that are drawn from the research. And I love your comment just about made me just think about, uh, you know, our audience for the podcast are, are primarily senior level leaders, a lot of them C-level leaders. Uh, I think it's really a powerful question to consider when was the last time you as a C-level or senior leader in your organization personally took time to listen to your customers? Like, I think there is absolute gold in that. Again, not, not in like, okay, assistant, go and talk to five customers and come back and tell me what you learned. 
But with your perspective as a senior leader to be able to go and hear the influctuation in the voice, the stress, the points of emphasis, just the nuance that comes through direct communication and hopefully in person, you know, we're getting back to a world of in person is acceptable. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, some of that can be face to face. Um, but what would you say to those senior leaders who are listening along those lines? If, if you have any, anything to add to that or, or specific suggestions as to how to do that well? Uh, such a good point. And I, I completely agree on the when was the last time that you specifically spoke to a customer yourself. Um, the other one is go and talk to your frontline staff. They will be able to tell you what is the most commonly asked question? What's the biggest frustration? What's not working? And the same thing with your sales teams. Go and ask them what's the biggest sales objection? Sometimes just you'll go and ask your frontline staff something as simple as what's the biggest objection you get or what's the biggest frustration? And sometimes it's something so simple and so easy to fix and has a massive impact. And you wouldn't have known unless you asked the question because they're probably not going to feel comfortable coming to the CEO and saying, hey, we hear clients gripe about this day in and day out. And, you know, it, the common saying, but it stays true, is that it costs 30% more to acquire a new customer than it does to keep an old one. And so if you've got current customers and you could sell them into some sort of new product or service, or you could make their experience better where they're going to refer you, I mean, you're going to get so much further there than just going out and, and focusing solely on an external facing marketing message. I love that. Whoever's listening, you know, whatever role you're in, if you just take one of those suggestions that Lisa just gave, I think you're going to find a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, so to speak. Frontline staff or direct to customer, uh, sales team, whatever it is. Uh, and then again, I just love your, your uh, reminder of the 30% rule, so to speak, of the uh, acquisition versus retention or kind of resurrection, like reactivation uh, of a customer opportunity. Now, uh, I'd love in our last couple of minutes here to learn more about the impact assessment itself. If there's anything specific you'd like to share there as to how that is carried out, again, it, perhaps, I guess, a little bit of lay of the land for any any of those that are listening that may be a good fit to, to even be part of that uh, more formally with you. Can you teach us a bit more about the impact assessment? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Um, I love talking about IA. It, it's really a, a deep dive into who you are as a brand, as a company, but more importantly, some of those specifics that I talked about with understanding your customer, understanding your competition, um, that lay of the land trend research. Um, so we do activities both on the qualitative and quantitative side of research that can be anything from focus group surveys, interviews, um, on the competitive analysis side, uh, a lot of mystery shopping. And no, that's not just in the retail space. Yes, we do that type of mystery shopping. We actually do a lot of B2B mystery shopping as well. Um, and in some unique settings. Uh, so, like we have a client right now that has a recruitment problem. Um, they can't figure out why, you know, their staff is going to work for the competition. Um, so we're actually mystery shopping that. Um, mm, so there's, cool. <laughs> there's, there's lots of different facets to the research. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it can be, I'm going to say as small of an engagement or as large of an engagement as you would like. So we're, we're kind of that customizable model. We have some companies that come to us and say, Hey, we just want you to help us run a focus group. Um, so kind of like a traditional market research firm where here's the answer we want answered, run the focus group, client X, here's your answer. Our typical impact assessment process, though, is a lot more comprehensive where it's looking at the whole business 
and going through multiple different research activities to kind of arrive at an overarching positioning and strategic plan or marketing plan that, it, again, isn't just looking at that kind of one facet. And that that's what makes, I guess, that process very different is that, yes, we fall in the bucket of a traditional market research firm, but we're also a hybrid model where we bridge that gap over to the implementation side. So you've got lots of agencies who just execute and, and just focus on tactics of building websites and managing social and so on and so forth. And then you have market research firms who will just do the research and hand you the answer. And we kind of marry those two pieces together where, and the bridge is really that, that strategic piece where it's, what do you do with this data? How do you actually form a strategy from that data, help the client build that strategy and then help them execute? So it's kind of about three steps, if you will. Very cool. That's awesome. It, the thing that stands out to me is that there's a label on it. And so sometimes when there's a label on something, it feels like it's it's just kind of this uniform thing, like a cookie cutter type of a thing. But it's not that at all. And the impact assessment, it sounds like it's it's more like the concept is central that you need to go out and get certain information. But depending on your brand, who you are as a company, who your customer is, who your competitor, like all those details, it kind of evolves each assessment. It sounds like uh, kind of becomes its own thing and that's tailored to the needs of, of each client. Is that accurate or did I Absolutely. get that? No, you cool. nailed it. it. Yes, we have a process that we follow for every client, but it, you know, typically where it will change is the type of research. And that really comes down to what the client's need is. Sometimes it can also morph on the uh, strategic planning side, depending on do they need a go to market strategy on the new continent or do they need a just a marketing plan that helps them, you know, gain some market share closer to their current geography? So those are the two, I would say, variables that change. But, yeah, it's, it's really just figuring out what does the client need, meeting, meeting them where they're at. Um, but, yes, we do, we do still have a formalized process that kind of some boxes we need to check to make sure we're on the right roadmap, if you will. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's absolutely the, the right way to go about it. Uh, just having your kind of limits of, uh, well, I was going to say left and right limits, which is a military reference to when you're at the firing range, you have a left limit and a right limit, and you're supposed to stay within that. So anyway, I use that sometimes, not not remembering that not everyone has been on that firing range anyway. But you know, there are parameters, uh, a scope that you have you should stay within because that you know that's where it's going to work and where you're going to find the right data. But there's some flexibility as to what you do within those boundaries, I guess, is the the thing that I'm kind of hearing. So I'm curious, uh, this is kind of a a final, hopefully it doesn't feel like a tangent, but kind of a final thing to touch on briefly. I know that you're expanding as an organization. I looked on your website and it looks like you're recruiting some positions overseas and things. I'm curious what you're learning as you go into new markets uh, with your business and start to work in different geographies and cultures and and places. Like, what are you learning as as you expand your business? Oh, that's a great question. And I'm smiling because I'm learning that we need to drink our own Kool-Aid. <laughs> so, you know, uh, like every mechanic with the unchanged oil, um, we have, have on that geographical expansion side of things, um, we're now completing our own impact assessment. So, I mean, we do currently have teams, obviously, in North America, uh, Europe, Asia, the Middle East, uh, and Australia. And what I have learned, though, as we, you know, expand on those continents is that wow we really need to go back and do our homework and actually do what we tell our clients to do not that there's been anything bad that's happened but I chuckle a little bit in that you know we we tried to approach it uh, in the way that 
hey, let's let's just see how this goes and operate on educated guesses and assumptions and oh, we've done work in Europe before. That's no big deal if we want to move into another country. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, really, it's a it's a it's a great learning lesson for me and a good reminder that why that system exists and why it works and why it needs to be applied to our own business as well. Wow, oh, that's, that's so great, and I think you've really hit on such an important point that applies in lots of different contexts. The whole idea of drinking your own Kool Aid. I've been amazed at how many organizations I've encountered. Uh, for example, companies that are all about helping other companies dial in their employee engagement or build a, a high performance culture or again, innovation or whatever. And those companies struggle with engagement and high performance culture and innovation. Like I think of it as kind of the coach player paradox a little bit in a sports analogy that a good player isn't necessarily a good coach and a good coach isn't necessarily a good player. Like it, it takes kind of a unique uh, ability to step outside yourself and like you said, drink your own Kool-Aid, like apply the principles you're applying with your clients to your own organization. And I think companies that can do that effectively, it does take a certain level of humility and transparency and awareness. But if you can do that, that also acts as kind of like a rocket fuel that can accelerate your own growth and, and impact. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I attribute it to being too close to your own tree. <laughs> you can't, if you're eating bark, you can't really do anything else. Um, and so, you know, that was really stood true with this situation and, you know, full transparency. We actually brought on um, an outside consultant that has done some subcontract work uh, for us in the past. She, um, you know, very familiar with our process, obviously, and I've brought her in to facilitate because I am eating bark at this point. <laughs> mm, sure. <laughs> well, again, I mean, it takes that awareness and, and some humility and, and just a willingness to ask for some outside set of eyes uh, to come and look because I think that's very normal. Like that's just that's just human nature. When you're so close to something for so long, you get to the point where you're not seeing necessarily the full picture or all the details or the level of clarity that you know is vital. And so it's actually a, a principle of leadership, I think, is, is that ability to kind of raise your hand and say, yeah, we need that resource to come in here and assist. So anyway, I love that. So uh, wrapping up, you already earlier in our conversation, you already kind of extended a couple of uh, potential challenges in terms of uh, going and having a direct conversation with a customer, with your frontline team, some of those types. Uh, do we Do we want to kind of put an exclamation mark on one of those as a challenge, as an action item, or if you had something else that's come to your mind that you really would like to present to the, the listening audience as something they can take and go and immediately apply. You know, the one thing that um, I've been thinking about as we've talked is, and it's related, but a bit different. Um, and I don't even know why it's coming up today, but clear is kind. And so that's one of my like core leadership principles that I, I want to leave uh, listeners with is, you know, anytime that you can make things exceptionally clear, whether that is expectations, something that's not working for you, whatever that may be, clear intentions with going and talking to those frontline workers or, or talking to your sales team, make sure it's clear, make it very clear what it is that you are trying to achieve, what you want out of it, and you will have more success. I feel anytime that I'm, I'm having challenge, I go back to, you know, those core values but also make sure that I'm really, really clear on things. That's where the gold is for me. 
I think that's magnificent and very powerful. So I really appreciate that. What a perfect way to end. Uh, Lisa, how can people connect with the work you're doing as a company and also you personally, if they'd like to get in touch? Yeah, um, visit us online at wearebottomline.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so feel free to, to reach out there. Always happy to have a conversation. Wonderful. Thank you once again, Lisa Genovese. Really appreciate you joining us. I'm just very inspired here at the end. Lots of thoughts and things to go do myself that uh, that will make me better and my company better. So grateful for what you've shared today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit LumenLeader.com. We'll see you next time.